Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Various Moab government and business leaders have come out in opposition to the Trump administration's plans to allow an oil and gas lease on the nearby Slick Rock Trail. The group's decrying what they say is an opportunity currently misunderstood by the Department of Interior to support the power of world-famous recreation assets like Slick Rock Trail. They say these types of outdoor treasures bring revenue flows and tax receipts to public land communities and create real long-term jobs, and that oil and gas development does not deliver the same economic benefits. We are going to talk uh, this hour with uh, Moab Mayor Emily Niehaus and Ashley Kornblatt, uh, CEO of Western Spirit uh, Cycling. Uh, bring in uh, first uh, Mayor Niehaus. Welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, Ashley Kornblatt, thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, so uh, we should say we uh, reached out to several groups and individuals who uh, could uh, perhaps give us a, 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 the pro view of uh, leasing these particular uh, parcels or uh, give us uh, the, uh, the pro view on uh, uh, the overall emphasis on the Trump administration for prioritization of uh, energy development, but uh, did not receive responses back. Um, let me start with uh, Mayor Niehaus. Uh, Tell us first about this iconic trail and uh, and this particular area and what it means to, to Moab. Um, well, I will just share that in Moab today, it's a bright, beautiful, sunny day. And um, from my window, I can actually see um, the San Plats Recreation Area, so it's very close to town. Um, and what a beautiful day for our visitors that are down here to go biking and hiking and jeeping and riding their ATVs um, and camping. And, um, and so it's a, it's a beautiful place for recreation um, out um, uh, Moab City residence back door, essentially. Uh, so you, and, s- um, yeah. you say you can see the, the, the recreation area out your, out your back door. How close is it to Moab? Um, it's literally um, a hike or a two-minute drive, um, or depending on how in shape you are, because it is uphill, uh, maybe a 10 or 15-minute um, bike ride. Oh. Right, Ashley? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the parcels are contiguous to the city. Okay. Um, and I was, uh, I, I guess I was, uh, I had a misunderstanding of, and uh, Ashley Kornblatt, you can you can disabuse me of this. Um, so I, I thought, you know, slick rock, I guess, is a general term. And so I always, when people said I'm going to go, uh, you know, bike slick rock, I thought it was just anywhere, right? This, this is the iconic <laughs> trail. This is the slick rock trail that we're talking about. Exactly. So this is the place where the name was born. And it's, there's sort of a legend that it comes from when the first settlers were here and their horses had shoes the they were it was hard for the horses to travel across this type of rock and it's basically petrified sand dunes and they do exist in lots of places in utah um but this is sort of the big concentration and the place where the name slick rock was born uh so how many visitors uh to i, I guess to to grand county and, and specifically to the uh to, to this particular area so there are several estimates. We know that there are 2 million visitors to Arches National Park, but there are lots of people that come to Moab that don't go into the park. So the highest estimate is 7 million. Um, Emily, what's our capacity at this point? 
Well, Moab City is set to service, you know, up to 5 million visitors. Yeah. And (laughs) And so on, you know, any given busy weekend, um, our city of um, 5,000 residents or our county, including county, is 10,000 residents. Um, we'll accept another 20,000, 25,000 visitors on, on a busy weekend. Hmm. Uh, there have been a couple times when I've been in Moab where I've, I've felt like that all 5 million are there at the, at the same time. I don't know <laughs> how you, you guys yeah. feel. Um, and that's in the, maybe later in the program we talk about that, uh, how, how you, uh, you know, mitigate growth and, and, uh, and accommodate all, all those people. Uh, important for the economy, right? Um, so uh, tell, us, uh, tell us about these specific uh, parcels. There are a couple of parcels that are, I think, currently uh, planned to be auctioned in June. Uh, and, and those are right there uh, on or near the, the trail? That's correct. Yeah. So this lacrosse <clears throat> trail, yeah. Go ahead, Ashley. Well, um, the, the two parcels are, um, uh, one of them is contiguous to town, and then there's a, a block that's um, left open, and then there's the, the second parcel goes further to the west, and the the Sandflats Road the Sandflats Road at that point runs to the west so it, it goes along the road and there are 144 campsites in the in the Sandflats Recreation Area that are right that are included or near um, this parcel along with um, the first parcel the parcel to the west is um, uh, also includes the Slick Rock Bike Trail and the Hell's Revenge Jeep Trail. And that's a really important recreation asset. Lots of folks come from around the world, and we have a very robust um, Hummer tour business where folks go and do the sunset drive over Hell's Backbone. I'm sorry, Hell's Revenge. And so, uh, so that's another piece of this. There's the camping, the motorized, the non-motorized. Um, it really is a really strongly performing recreation asset. And when you look at it from the business perspective, the idea that you would undermine the quality of the experience that all these people are having there um, for one well pad, it, it just doesn't make sense. And one of the reasons we've come to this has to do with the current administration's policy on energy. And sure, energy extraction is, is needed. It's part of how our economy runs, but we all know there's a lot of changes happening at this point, and that's really the issue, is change is happening fast, and the Department of Interior isn't keeping up with what's really driving our economy at this point. So, uh, Mayor Niehaus, I understand that uh, Moab has a master leasing plan. There's there's some cooperation of Moab and Grand County are not totally opposed to leasing. That's right, and um, it's probably worth mentioning that there are still um, many parcels in Grand County that have been leased for oil and gas and in, have not yet been developed. Um, and it's interesting, um, I was um, speaking with some folks up at the state capitol, and they were sharing um, the the question of whether or not um, the, the Sandflats Recreation Area um, uh, was included um, or um Sorry, not was um, was excluded from oil and gas development in that master leasing plan, and so I think um, 
I think that the assumption back then and still today is um, that there's no question how valuable this recreation area is. And so there was no question back then whether or not to um, exclude it from oil and gas um, leasing because it was put it was mapped as a recreation area. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, n- now, was is this? I guess the the fact that these two parcels are now on the list, the, the, the do you get the sense this was directive from from Washington or for for closer to home for local? Well, it's more that Washington, you know, put forward the the charge to lease as much as much as you can, and then locally somebody. Um, unfortunately, we don't know who yet because it was an anonymous nomination for the two parcels, but somebody, um, well, and I shouldn't say local because we don't know who it was, but somebody nominated these two parcels. And to be really specific, it's parcels numbers 11 and 12. So someone nominated these two parcels. Um, Hopefully we'll find out who it was so that we can ask them, um, why did you nominate? Was it because um, of the charge to nominate all parcels that have not yet been nominated? Or do you actually think that there's, you know, oil and gas development possibility up there? Because the other funny thing that people have been saying is that there's just no oil or gas to be developed, um, that there was a well that was actually um, drilled up there um, and I don't remember the year, but it was quite a while ago, um, and it was dry. Mm. And so um, there's even question whether or not that resource is up there at all. Well, I guess I guess somebody thinks there might be oil there. That's that's why these parcels or were put on there. Just wants to you know nom- just wants to nominate parcels. So mm-hmm. I heard from um, somebody else um, locally that there was an argument going around that any parcel that's nominated and then leased could be money for Grand County, even if they decide never to drill it, that it would uh, could result in some pennies that could go, um, you know, into the pocket of Grand County. But I, I just, I don't, I don't think that that's a strong enough argument to potentially jeopardize a recreation area or a watershed for, you know, exploration in the future. I want to get into the economy and how you balance the you know recreation economy versus extraction economy a little later. Uh, first of all, uh, maybe we'd have one or both of you uh, just outline specific dangers as you see them. You you did mention um, you know disruption to, to 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 the visitation out there and 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 water. Maybe you could outline what uh, you see as the danger if if this lease goes through and and extraction goes forward. Sure. Um, let me give a little background on, on, the, on the leasing process. So the current administration has a policy for energy called energy dominance, and it does include a very aggressive leasing program. In the past, parcels are nominated by, oil, by the oil and gas industry, and as they are nominated, they would be auctioned off. Now we are having... Um, quarterly statewide auctions at regular intervals, even when there may or may not be expressions of interest from industry. So um, the system has, was designed by the Mineral Leasing Act of 1920, and that 
Act was all about encouraging oil and gas development and spreading out the risk. So we're working with this program that really um, wasn't designed to accommodate today's needs. And so the the system has, the the nominator is anonymous until the comment period opens, which is um, scheduled to open today. So we may find out who the nominator is at this point. And um, the administration's idea here is that if we lease parcels, all possible parcels, any place that industry might have interest in, then those leases can be maintained for decades going forward. And if technology changes or we ever need that oil, it will already be leased. And it's likely that the nominator may or may not have the assets to actually drill this area, but they are um, – it's a, it's, there's a whole series of uh, kind of middlemen who, who hold the leases, and it's a little bit like venture capital. They invest in leases, um, as many leases as possible, and they only need a few of them to be drilled to get a return on their investment. So this whole system was set up to spread out risk. So that's what's led us to this sort of strange moment where a parcel would be nominated in a place that no one ever thought was going to be a productive oil and gas um, area. And in fact, there are Sitla parcels um, near the Slick Rock Trail that have been leased for the development of a resort. So, um, and other Sitla parcels in the area have been traded to the BLM because Sitla doesn't necessarily um, like to manage recreation, um, you know, actual trail use, that type of thing. And so, Everything about the history of this place has been in the direction of managing it for recreation, including, you know, the Sand Flats partnership. So um, so that's a little bit about the background. And then as far as the um, effects, so what happens when you have uh, leased parcels? In the country today, 50% of the leased parcels have not yet been developed. So we already have a big backlog of leased parcels um, ready to go if we need them. Um, but if when you have that lease hanging over an area, it does discourage development and recreation because there is that possibility that any time it could be um, drilled. And if it is drilled, what that means is it's a lot of infrastructure. It's not just a, a, a well pad. You have to build roads to the well pad during the time of the drilling, it's a, it's a huge deal when the, when the drill rig is on the parcel. Um, and then even after that goes away, you have um, truck traffic of all types coming to the well pad at all times. And you often have flaring happening because, um, you know, natural gas is usually hit before they hit oil. So it's, it's quite an industrial site that would completely change the character of, of the Sand Flats Road. Mm. Um, I, I believe, you know, one possibility could be that horizontal drilling, right? The, 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 the rigs, the industrialization could happen a ways away and the, the drilling, um, happen in you know, horizontally under, under the ground. Is, is that a possibility? Sure. And the thing about that, uh, it, it is in theory, um, a possibility, but this is not a great place for it. There are other places in Greene County where horizontal drilling has been quite effective and you usually use an existing well pad that's already been developed, and then to access an area, um, 
you know, in a place where there might even be a, a bike trail. And you can go um, one to two miles with horizontal drilling. Um, however, on the Sandflats Road, there are no existing well pads that would be appropriate um, that are anywhere close. And the geology is really um, extremely complex. And the um, uh, in general, it could be the most it could be in that type of geology would be one mile. And there just isn't a great place um, to drill from. And, and when you're talking about motorized recreation and, and, you know, bicycles, they travel quite far. So a mile um, is nothing, right? Um, so, you, you know, we do work with the oil and gas industry, and we, we've worked to sort of hide well pads and position them correctly. And that, that was a lot of the work that was done in the master leasing plan up in the area of the Big Flat near um, Canyonlands National Park and uh, Dead Horse State Park. So there are places where that is possible. This is definitely not one of them. Hmm. Uh, what about uh, concerns about water? Are there concerns about water? Well, I think that um, there, we, we in Moab are trying to fiercely protect our watershed. So we have amazing water. I mean, I can look up at the mountains today and see the snow on the mountains and visualize that snow melting running down um, either um, on the surface or subsurface down the mountain to the sandstone um, where this, where the water is actually filtered through the sandstone, which is in our natural um, process the best way to filter water. So it comes through the sandstone, and then it runs horizontally and springs out um, on the side of our, um, uh, really, essentially, um, from the side of the um, Sandflats Recreation Area, it springs out and then it's captured, and then that's what we utilize for our drinking water. And so when we talk about our single-source aquifer, um, we're talking about the water that um, that Moab City residents and visitors use to drink. So after a, a tough day of mountain biking, we <laughs> take a big glass, of, drink a big glass of water, and we can thank the protection of the area um, because we have such pristine drinking water. And so when we start to think about horizontal penetrations and removal of um, uh, oil and gas, and then also with the fracking process where they're injecting and then um, essentially fracturing to allow the gas to release, um, then um, that's what fracking is, is the fracturing of the rock to allow for um, that to release. Well, um, you can visualize it gets, it can get messy. So even if they're not in the same layer, the fracturing process could um, could contaminate our, our water. So for me, that's a non-negotiable. Hmm. Uh, are there not regulations in place, processes to to uh, you know to preserve water quality during this process? Um, so, you mean regulations well, the way, of the industry uh, of the industry? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so the way that usually works is when you lease a parcel, it can come with stipulations so that you know when you're leasing it what those stipulations may be. And these include everything from protecting wildlife to plants to visual resources. They're, they're quite complex. Um, <clears throat> but um, they're, they're, what we're seeing 
in a lot of ways is there's a, there are a lot of gray areas. There are the laws and the policies and the rules, but then there is the ranger's discretion, the BLM manager's discretion. And in the past, when parcels were nominated, the local BLM rangers were able to say, you know, that's a little close to the aquifer, or that's right next to the national park, or um, whatever their concern was, they had the um, ability to defer a parcel based on their discretion and their judgment. And now this current policy has eliminated that opportunity. And so because we don't have um, – I mean, it's, it's indicating that we need a much more rigorous – method for protecting water because this gray area, if we're not going to allow our professional land managers to use their discretion on these issues, then we are going to need a lot more regulation. Um, and, and we're seeing this in quite a few areas where this, um, these protocols and, um, for lack of a better term, gentlemen's agreements about how these things would be sorted out have been abandoned. Um, in the pursuit of energy dominance, and that's one of the problems. That's why this problem is happening. But and and the real, um, but there is a win-win opportunity. I mean, the Department of Interior has the opportunity to really look closer at recreation and the recreation economy. Now, recreation revenues like the my payroll for my company and um, the tax receipts that I pay don't go through the Department of Interior. Um, instead, they go to the city and the county and the various tax entities, right? So, but the mineral lease money, like Emily was mentioning, that this the lease of this parcel, you know, would result in a small revenue flow for the county. Um, the Department of Interior sees that mineral lease money, and they're able to measure that, and they want to be a good performing department. Um, and that increasing that money um, appears to be uh, better for the American people. And the piece they're missing is that these revenue flows they don't see that don't go directly through the department, sure, the permit fees go through, but they're a very small part of the business model. Um, they're not seeing all the revenues that communities like Moab are generating and the jobs and the quality of life that we have built here in Moab they're not acknowledging that. And whereas they have the opportunity to do that, if they, um, we, we invite them and there is uh, a business letter that has over 80 businesses from 20 states inviting Secretary Bernhardt to meet about this issue and talk more about how the department can better support the recreation economy and the businesses, uh, the communities whose economies depend upon it. Uh, let's. Uh, it's time for a break. Let's take a break. When you come back, much more to talk about. Of course, uh, I want to, as we go on the hour, talk about recreation economy versus extraction economy, um, and uh, talk more, of course, about these uh, two parcels that are currently on the, scheduled to be auctioned um, when the auction comes up again in uh, in June. We're talking about this issue in the Moab area. And uh, this, uh, several uh, Moab government and business leaders come out in opposition to uh, this auction uh, because these particular leases uh, cover uh, part of the, sl the iconic Slick Rock Trail and uh, this area very close to the, uh, to the town of Moab. 
Uh, we're talking with uh, Moab Mayor Emily Niehaus and Ashley Kornblatt, CEO of Western Spirit Cycling. We're opening the phone lines. We'd love to get your perspective on this. What do you think about these uh, leases going up for auction? And what do you think about these issues that we've been talking about? 800-826-1495. 800-826-1495 is the toll-free number. You can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraxcess at gmail.com. More following this. Support for Project Resilience Programming on Utah Public Radio is brought to you in part by our members and USU Center for Persons with Disabilities, working to create healthy, inclusive communities through innovative research, service, technical assistance, and education. Information at cpd.usu.edu. This is Brian Erickson for Bringing More to Life. With demands on time, energy, emotions, and relationships, caregiving isn't easy. So you might think it would take its toll on the physical health of those who care for the family members with chronic conditions. But new research offers a positive surprise. Family caregivers may live longer. Those who regularly attend to the needs of family members enjoy a nine-month extension of life expectancy, even if they felt some stress and strain. And there are no differences in chronic health issues between the two groups. In many cases, caregivers reported receiving benefits like enhanced self-esteem, recognition, and gratitude from their caregiver recipients. Caregiving can bring more to your life in ways you never knew. Support for Bringing More to Life on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Sunshine Terrace Foundation in Logan, advancing wellness, independence, dignity, and comfort. Information at sunshineterrace.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Various Moab government and business leaders have come out in opposition to the Trump administration's current plans to allow an oil and gas lease on nearby Slick Rock Trail. Uh, the groups uh, say that these types of outdoor treasures uh, should be protected and that they bring revenue flows and tax receipts to public communities, create real long-term jobs that oil and gas development does not deliver to the, uh, the same economic benefits. And they're pointing out uh, potential damage to uh, water and uh, to the economy. Uh, dark skies, I think, uh, is mentioned being potentially threatened by uh, uh, the, the leasing of these uh, particular parcels. Um, so uh, we're talking with uh, the mayor of Moab, Emily Niehaus, and the CEO of Western Spirit Cycling, Ashley Kornblatt. Uh, so Governor uh, Herbert, of course, Republican governor of Utah, has come out in opposition to these uh, auctioning off these parcels. At least he's asking BLM to defer leasing of these parcels. Here's part of his statement. The governor appreciates the unique beauty of the uh, Slick Rock area, wants to ensure that nothing is done that would be detrimental to the visitor experience or local water quality. Uh, w- what effect do you think the governor's opposition to this will have? Um. I think it's amazing. So this is the mayor, and I just have to say it's easy to point out. Um, it's easy to point a finger and villainize a politician. And trust me, I've been on the receiving end of that action. <laughs> uh, but we have an awesome governor in our state, and he's he understands the balance of recreation and oil, gas, mineral development and watershed protection. For, so for him to come out and um, support us with this, it means a lot to me. Um, I know it means a lot to Moab, and it's not out of step with what he's already done in other communities. So in Tokerville and in Springdale and in Washington County, um, they also had um, issues um, and concerns about protecting their um, their drinking water. And Governor Herbert stepped in and said, 
He doesn't think that the parcels are a good idea, and the Department of Interior um, responded and um, and removed them or withdrew them. And so, um, I think it's a it's a big um, statement for our governor. It's consistent with um, his um, his messaging, and I'm really grateful. I'm wondering what uh, is if. If, unfortunately, from your point of view, this uh, auction uh, proceeds, uh, is the remedy in the courts? Can a lawsuit be filed? Well, um, the the county chair, Mary McGann, did allude yesterday to um, a potential interest in lawsuit. Um, for me, lawsuits can be quite complicated, and um, you can spend a lot of money to disagree with a decision. So I'm just putting my hope in the response of the Department of Interior to listen to our governor and take action for mm. these two parcels. Yeah. Um, I, on the you, you did a, uh, a conference call, press call, what, a couple of days ago? And, uh, uh-huh. and there was a bill mentioned, um, Senator Cortez Masto. Apparently, is is uh, running a bill, right? Uh, for the and state in the in the legislature. Uh, uh, yeah, yes, it, in the in the Congress. Federal bill. This is yeah. a this is a bill in the U.S. Congress, um, and uh-huh. Senator Cortez Masto from Nevada is running the bill, and it's part of a bigger conversation about updating the oil and gas leasing system. So, as I mentioned, we're 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 operating on the uh, Mineral Leasing Act of 1920 is what is what created this system that we're working with now. And there are so many things have changed since 1920. We have lots of different needs at this point. And we also need energy. I mean, there is a real opportunity to um, update the energy system, which would benefit the energy companies as well. Like, it... it not a one-way street. This is something that needs to um, happen to help everyone involved. And the bill that Cortez Masto is running is called In Speculative Leasing uh, the, uh, on Public Lands. And it is um, taking this issue specifically into account because that's the problem. If the Slick Rock Trail, one of the most famous spike trails in the world, if not the most famous, can be leased, then technically every BLM trail around the country is at risk. And so this is a much bigger problem than just these couple of parcels here. It, ha- it, it really indicates the, um, the need for a change in the way we do energy exploration, and which change is hard. Lots of people uh, are quite concerned about it, and it's uncomfortable, and there is a real um, – you know, push back against it. But what we would like to do is have this conversation about what the benefits to all parties can be by updating the system. Uh, if you just joined us, we're talking about uh, potential oil and gas leases uh, right next to Moab, and uh, part of this would cover the uh, 
the iconic Slick Rock uh, Trail. We're talking with Moab Mayor Emily Niehaus and Ashley Kornblatt, CEO of Western Spirit Cycling. You're welcome to join this conversation. A couple of ways you can do that uh, by telephone, toll-free, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or by email, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. We do have a couple of callers on the line. want to go to them next. Paul in Logan. Uh, has has reached us. Uh, glad you called, Paul. Go ahead with your question or comment. Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, I'm an economist here at Utah State University, and I've been doing a lot of work on public lands this year. And it seems to me the debate about using public lands for one use or another often revolves around metrics associated with uh, expenditures, income, jobs, tax revenues, that sort of thing. And extractive industries claim one set of numbers, and the outdoor industry comes back and provides another set of uh, numbers. But the problem here is that uh, the bulk of recreational value is actually not captured in market activities, which is what those metrics measure. And uh, Ms. Korenblatt uh, uh, briefly referred to the asset value of land used in recreation, and Mayor Niehaus also touched on this issue when she referred to the number of visitors that go you know, relatively uncounted in the Moab area. And so as an economist, this seems to be the most important issue. How do we measure this? Well, over the last five decades, uh, econ- economists have basically developed a, a number of valid and reliable asset valuation methods, and we can measure that asset value, both market and non-market, and yet the values that economists estimates, uh, excuse me, economists estimate uh, are frequently ignored by policymakers and the outdoor industry, dismissed as so much funny money. So I guess my frustration, having sort of worked on these issues for a while, is I always hear it's all about economics, except that the key players continue to rely on these simplistic uh, economic impact modeling and ignore the truly relevant modeling. Uh, And so um, I guess, uh, I don't know if I... This is more of a, uh, um, a, a rant or, or a question here, but I'm wondering how in the world can economists become more of a player in this because it does seem to boil down to this asset value, yet we don't seem to be getting much traction. Okay, uh, thank, thank you for that, Paul. Thank you. Uh, we seem to get some feedback there, so we'll try to, to correct that. Uh, so let me direct that to either uh, Ashley Kornblatt or, or um, Mayor Niehaus. Do you want to, want to take that? To... Yes, go ahead. Thank you to Paul for calling because first of all we that was sorry go ahead so Emily well put. yeah that was so well put and and I'm so grateful um, because the the data is really important and the way that we interpret it is even more important but um, the question is um, is how do we how do we operationalize that um, and so there is right now within the state of Utah in the Office of Outdoor Recreation. Um, they are looking at um, putting together a um, a working group um, that is actually going to um, uh, decide how money is spent in the future. So the governor put in his budget a $40 million endowment for outdoor recreation. And, um, and so this committee is going to look at how to spend it. And so um, coming from the place that Paul was um, referring to and using um, using that set of data, I think is going to be critical. And so, Paul, I would say to you, let's make sure that you're in contact with the outdoor the Office of Outdoor Recreation and and get you on that group. Okay, that's uh, that's that's a great place uh, for Paul to start getting the word out. I guess. Um, 
Yes, oh, go ahead. Sorry. There, there is um, the other. We definitely welcome his help, and I think the other thing that needs measuring and that has a real opportunity to make a difference is the macroeconomic trends that we're seeing as people look to move away from crowded metropolitan areas. The footloose economy that allows people to live wherever they choose. Many rural communities in Utah and across the West are poised to benefit from that trend that um, getting your company out of an area where none of your employees can afford houses and everyone's always stuck in traffic is a real opportunity to improve the quality of life of your employees and the productivity of your company. And the communities that are attracting those footloose companies have recreation assets. So there's lots to be measured here, and we definitely welcome his help. All right, next up is Veronica in Teasdale, who's uh, reached us. Uh, Veronica, thanks so much for calling. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, uh, This is a fascinating discussion. Uh, I live next door to Capitol Reef National Park, and pretty much exactly the same kinds of things are happening here as as the last comment. Uh, People who are moving here who can afford to and are able to work at home or in small rural towns, we're here because this is where we want to live in these remote places. And uh, what's distressing to me is uh, this administration's uh, concept that everything should be happening everywhere on our public lands. And there are simply many, many places, and especially in Utah, where... uh, there are places that are too uh, too attractive for their uh, their own sake to sacrifice them to exploitation by uh, by fossil fuel, which ought to, <laughs> ought to be in, left in the ground anyway. But that's a whole other argument. Mm. So I really appreciate the mayors and Ashley's uh, 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 speaking out on this subject and and bringing the public's attention to it because uh, it's becoming more and more problematic. Well, thank you. Thank you. Perspective from uh, Wayne County. Thank you very much. Um, you can call yeah, as well. So go to live in Teasdale. Uh huh. Yes. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> so lucky. It's beautiful. Be- beautiful yeah. area. Yeah. Uh, love Capital Reef area as well. Um, so you can call as well. Uh, you can. Uh, we'd love to get your perspective on the, these oil and gas leases. Two parcels. Uh, one of which would cover some sixty percent of the iconic Slick Rock Trail. And as we speak now, they're still scheduled for auction. Um, we're talking with um, Emily Niehaus, who is Moab Mayor, and Ashley Kornblatt, uh, CEO of Western Spirit uh, Cycling. Uh, before we go to break, uh, any comments uh, from either of you on, on Veronica's comments? Well, I would like to say that um, the Governor's Office of Economic Development has a rural development office. Um, it's also the where the outdoor recreation office is located in our governor's office of economic development, and one of the program managers um, actually lives in Tory, so um, is a neighbor to the caller, and I think that that just shows um, the the state of Utah's um, commitment to rural Utah commitment to diverse, uh, diversifying our economy and um, and and looking to move toward um, industry 
that is going to dovetail with rural um, rural living and rural lifestyles. So it's um, it is. I am encouraged by our um, by our governor and our lieutenant governor and their commitment to that um, diversification of rural economy. All right, let's uh, take another break. Um, when we come back, more with uh, Mayor Emily Niehaus of Moab and Ashley Kornblatt, CEO of Western Spirit Cycling. We're talking about uh, oil and gas leases, two parcels specifically, which would impact uh, uh, Slick Rock Trail, Iconic Trail, just outside of Moab. And uh, various government business leaders in Moab recently uh, on a press call expressed concern. We're uh, having them express those concerns again uh, today. By the way, we did reach out to several groups or individuals who uh, could potentially have uh, defended the oil and gas leases here on Slick Rock Trail. We, we didn't hear back from them. Uh, we'd love to hear your perspective on any of these issues. I want to get into more solidly uh, spend the last segment on the recreation economy um, we'll talk about that and uh, and how we treat balance, how we uh, talk about and control uh, the effects of growth uh, in, in our last segment. Uh, you can join us a couple of ways. Toll-free number is 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. You can email us to upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. We'll have more following this. The Debunked Podcast is made possible by our members and the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services, Department of Kinesiology and Health Science, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services, Administration, Rural Opioid Technical Assistance Program, and the Tribal and Rural Opioid Initiative of Utah State University and Extension at usu.edu. You can find the first episode of the Debunked Podcast on our website, upr.org. Thank you to everyone who submitted designs to our annual UPR Art Mug Contest. We had awesome work come in from all over Utah. Submissions have closed now, and you have until February 24th to vote for your favorite design. It's your vote that will determine the winner, and their design will be printed on this year's UPR Mug, available during our spring member drive. So what would you like to see on your mug? Tell us by going to upr.org and casting your vote. On this week's Wait, Wait, we asked Washington Nationals pitcher Sean Doolittle if he had ever tried to leverage his fame to get some Star Wars swag. After the World Series, the PR people are like, hey, you know, let us know if there's anything you want to do. And I was like, I want to go to the premiere. And they were like, how about Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me? <laughs> I'm Peter Sagal. Let us be your consolation prize this weekend on NPR. Tune in Saturday morning at 9 to Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, various Moab uh, government and business leaders have come out in opposition to the Trump administration's plans to allow oil and gas leases on the nearby Slick Rock Trail. This iconic trail has many visitors uh, yearly, and uh, it's very near Moab, and uh, a couple of parcels would uh, impact uh, that area. Uh, we're talking about that and related issues on the program today. We're talking with Moab Mayor Emily Niehaus and Ashley Kornblatt, CEO of Western Spirit Cycling. Uh, you can weigh in on these issues as well. Hope that you will. would love to hear from you. Uh, the toll-free number, phone number is 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. And that's uh, toll-free. We have about 10 minutes of conversation. You can email us to upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess 
at gmail.com. I want to direct the first question uh, in this segment to Ashley Kornblatt. On that uh, press call, Ashley, you um, you talked about pivoting from resource extraction to uh, recreation, um, and you know we've heard about that. Then you went on to say that we need to get beyond the tourist economy. Um, and initially, those two things seem to be in conflict in my mind. What uh, Maybe you could explain that to me. Sure. Um, what I mean by that is that we're learning from how we did it in Moab. And uh, Moab grew so quickly that we didn't have the chance um, to plan as well as we could have. And Emily's working hard to uh, – Mayor Niehaus is working hard to – to catch up. Um, but what I meant by that comment is that when you look at recreation assets, you immediately think about tourism and visitors. But because of the footloose economy that we mentioned earlier, it's also about recruiting businesses and quality of life um, folks, people, retirees who bring their um, income to counties with recreation assets and um, professionals who can work wherever they choose, and then business owners who are looking for a place, you know, where their employees can afford houses and where, um, where there are loyal employees who live there. So we see this change happening across the country. Our company, Western Spirit, is involved with a nonprofit called Public Land Solutions, and we are working with communities who are looking to diversify and pivot from their dependence on oil and gas and coal towards um, how can they use their public lands and their recreation assets to attract other businesses that will create jobs and then make it possible, you know, for their children and grandchildren to stay in the county. And a great example of a place that is really um, proactively working on this is Emory County. Um, Last year, Emory County passed the public lands bill that did the work to sort out where recreation should happen, where conservation should happen, and where resource extraction should happen in their county. And now they are moving forward to um, make plans for visitors, make plans for businesses, and get ahead of the curve so that they're ready for um, more folks who want to live in that county and who can um, bring jobs to them there over the next, you know, over the long term. Uh, is is that balance achievable? In, in that press call, I think it was you, Ashley Kornblatt, who, who I'm not sure who it was, talked about how with, with planning you can fit into relatively small areas, you can fit extraction and recreation sort of side by side. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, it's ideal for them to be somewhat separated. And But when you look at, if you put the business lens on the problem and you say, what is our product mix? Where should we do what? And this happens within the recreation economy as well. And like any type of zoning that you would do, um, you're you're working to make sure that one use doesn't detract from another use. And it's absolutely possible to do. But it does take detailed planning, and that's why the master leasing planning process was such an important tool for MOAB. You know, what we need right now is we need more BLM staff to help execute the plans in Emory County and other communities across the West. Um, Directors of recreation are popping up in lots of states. We had the first one in Utah, but um, those states are embracing their federal lands and working hard to help their rural communities take advantage of this access to the public land. And if you do a good job, you can 
absolutely um, conserve and protect ecosystems. You can provide access to places where people want to go and where are appropriate for people to go. And you can also work on um, energy development, whether it's solar or wind or um, more traditional. So it's possible, but it takes planning and commitment. And the problem is many communities in Utah are very committed to traditional lifestyles and are, you know, very self-reliant ethic, which is extremely admirable. Um, but what we want to do is use that self-reliant ethic and look at the future and make plans like Emory County is doing. Um, but what is happening in some places is we tend to resist change, which is totally natural. But no matter what we want, there's no turning back the clock. Mm. We just have about uh, two or three minutes left. I want to I want to talk about growth. Uh, I'll direct this to Mayor Niehaus first. Um, you, great to have a lot of people come and enjoy the area. Great for the economy, right? But uh, it can cause some problems as well. Yeah. So the reason why I live in Moab, Utah, is with is because I was um, offered a proposal to move to Moab and marry Chad Niehaus. That was. Um, a little over 16 years ago, um, and a shout-out to my husband, Chad. It's his birthday today. Happy what birthday. What better birthday gift than a, than a nod from the governor to protect one of the recreation areas that he loves so much. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're in Moab. So from a resident's perspective in Moab, um, we live here and we enjoy the area. And, um, and yet we are... Um, uh, really feeling the effects of the unintended consequences of um, a fantastic um, recreation economy. And that is that um, the cost of housing has gone up, that our main street is more congested than it has been. Um, if you're a small business owner, you struggle to find employees because employees struggle to find a place to live. It's become more expensive to live in Moab. Back when I moved to Moab, there was this um, label called the dirt bag. People that could come to Moab loved to climb and bike and run the river, um, and we could kind of get away with being dirt bags because there was a level of affordability for that type of lifestyle, and that affordability is gone now. Um, and so we're we're in a, a place where Moab has shifted, and. Um, and so from a resident's perspective, if we don't have our basic needs met, we struggle. Um, and so what you know, my desire is for Moab is to continue to get organized in the way that we, um, that, you know, for ourselves, for our residents, and then also for the people that are visiting Moab, because the other part of me, when I think about our recreation economy, I think about Delicate Arch and how it is, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful places on this planet. It is truly fantastic. And um, I want to be sure that we are a community that welcomes people to come and visit a place like Delicate Arch um, to be able to experience that beauty as well. And also, a conversation that I've been having with Chad a lot lately is the difference between tourism and recreation. Moab is an outdoor recreation capital. We are active here. We are climbing and biking and, um, you know, running whitewater. And those are, those, you know, those 
those activities are um, different than touring and, and you know, viewing. And so um, and those activities include toys and, um, and you know, need trailheads and, and signage. And so um, we just need to get, continue to get more organized locally around um, our issues of infrastructure so that residents get our needs met and then people that are visiting to experience this amazing place have a safe place to land as well when they get here. Uh, we'll give a last word to Ashley Kornblatt. just have 30 seconds. So what's your, um, you know, the hope is, obviously, from, from your perspective, that these two uh, parcels are, are uh, excluded uh, when the auction comes. So what do you think is going to happen? I think that Governor Herbert will um, get a good response from Secretary Bernhardt um, on these parcels and deferring them. And I also am optimistic that the Secretary will want to talk with all of us about these opportunities that the Department of Interior has for helping communities work towards more sustainable, more climate-friendly future using DOI lands. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, We've been talking with Moab Mayor Emily Niehaus. Thank you so much to you. Thanks for having me. And uh, Ashley Kornblatt, uh, CEO of Western Spirit Cycling. Thanks to you. Thanks so much. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening to Access Utah today. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanity and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU-FM Logan, also heard at upr.org. Hey, it's Francis Lamb, and this week we are getting stinky with the unsung heroes of the cheese world, the cheesemongers. We'll learn about a wild competition designed to crown the best cheesemonger in the land. We'll learn how to identify cheeses by taste and smell. We've got answers to all your cheesy questions. That's The Splendid Table from APM, American Public Media. Sunday morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio.